0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
1: On this episode, the titanic struggle between the globalists and the nation state. Trump versus the deep state.
2: Trump represents that part of that deep state community in America that looked at this development and where it was heading, particularly after 9-11, and said, enough is enough. This podcast
1: is brought to you by house carers. You know the feeling, that knot that materializes in your stomach as you drive away from your house to begin a two-week vacation. But by the time you hit the highway, worries are running through your mind. Did I turn off the coffee pot? What if the house burns down? Well, thankfully, there's a cure for this same old panic attack, house-sitting. If you don't have a neighbor to keep watch over your home while you're away, a house sitter can really help with your sanity. And there's a company that can match you up with someone who will look after your home and, more importantly, someone with whom you feel comfortable. House Carers has been securely matching homeowners with house sitters for nearly 20 years. And they have pet sitters, too. Find out more at clearbroadcast.com. That's clearbroadcast.com. clearbroadcast.com.
0: Richard
1: Welcome to your Friday. Hey, we all made it. Now, this episode is the first in a series of three consecutive episodes dealing with the deep state and geopolitics. Globalism versus the Nation-State. On Monday, coming up next Monday, Paul L. Smith, the author of The Killing of Uncle Sam, The Demise of the United States of America, will talk about the deep state. Next Wednesday, Joel Skousen, the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, will join me to talk about the deep state and geopolitics. And on this episode, a most learned scholar, an Oxford-trained scholar, Joseph Farrell is really at the top of the heap when it comes to alternative news and information. Uh, you know, there's John Rappaport, and then there's Joseph Farrell. Those two guys, really, in the pantheon. Uh, born and raised in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Joseph has a doctorate in patristics from the University of Oxford and pursues research in physics, alternative history, and science and other strange stuff. His book, The Giza Death Star, was published in the spring of 2002, and was his first venture into alternative history and science. Following a paradigm of researching the relationship between alternative history and science, Joseph has followed with a stunning series of books. Each conceived to stand alone, but also conceived in a pre-arranged sequence. The Giza star. The Giza death star deployed. Reich of the Black Sun. The Giza death star destroyed. The SS Brotherhood of the Bell, The Cosmic War, Secrets of the Unified Field, The Philosopher's Stone, The Nazi International, Babylon's Banksters, Roswell and the Reich, LBJ and the Conspiracy to Kill Kennedy. I would take a half hour reading all his books. His latest is Hess and the Penguins, The Holocaust, Antarctica, and The Strange Case of Rudolf Hess. Joseph Farrow, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you, my friend? It's been a long time.
2: I'm pretty good, Richard. Thanks, thanks for having me back.
1: I, uh, I've, I've been watching some of your YouTube videos, and uh, I'm always intrigued by your analysis of uh, geopolitical events. So why, mm-hmm. I thought maybe we could start with what's sort of top of mind, and that is the recent U.S.-North Korean summit held in Singapore. What did you make of that? Is this history in the making, potentially?
2: Well, I think it is, potentially. Um Mr. Trump is, you know, he's not a popular figure. I, I don't think anywhere he has his, you know, he has his groupies. I did vote for him, but it was it was more of a protest vote against Hillary Clinton than than a vote for him. Uh, at the time that the elections were occurring in this country, I I pointed out that both of these candidates were deep state candidates, but that Mr. Trump was. To my mind, to my thinking, uh, a candidate representing a very different faction of the American deep state and potentially uh, something else as well. We'll get back to that. But but my reasoning was that Trump, being a real estate developer, very heavily involved in, in the casino business, was affected by his bottom line with Obamacare. Which really, if if you were in this country and and saw what was going on with the casino business in this country, uh, Obamacare absolutely gutted the the casino business because people were simply afraid to spend money. They were afraid to gamble. Uh, they didn't have the discretionary income that they did. So, I think I thought of him at the time as representing the the casino interests, the you know the mafia, and so on and so forth. But very clearly. Uh, during the campaign and and then since his inauguration up till now he's he's certainly had a certain segment of the military and the intelligence community backing him and I think this is in part why the response of the other part of the deep state the other factional interest against him has been so strong but there's something very peculiar about Mr. Trump uh, one of my website contributors recently wrote a blog about this, if you compare Mr. Trump and Mr. Putin and their speeches and what they've said about globalism and uh, the power of multinational corporations trying to get rid of, of the sovereignty of, of nation states, they're very similar in their outlook, and I think this is really what's playing into his summit now in North Korea, because I think with Trump, uh, if, if that reading of him is correct and you know there's there's a lot to suggest it might not be but there there is a lot to suggest it might be if that reading of him is correct then what we are seeing is someone who is uh playing old-fashioned realpolitik. in other words he's not concerned with you know north korea human rights or this and that and the other he's his real concern is the stability of the region, the security of South Korea, the security of Japan, maintaining American, Korean, Japanese trade interests, and so on and so forth. So we're seeing a very different style of of negotiation. Uh, We're seeing a very different style of Of geopolitics from this man, and I I don't think it's going to change. In other words, if he is a deep state candidate of a certain faction within this country, as I believe him to be, then this is not a one-off affair. Uh, You can can get rid of Trump and somebody else is going to take his place and pursue similar policies, just as in the case of Russia. uh, Mr. Putin is not a one-off affair. He represents a certain segment of the Russian military and, and intelligence complex that was looking at the rape of Russia in the Yeltsin years and, and determining that, no, we can't go down this globalist Atlantis' path. We need to go a different direction. So you can get rid of Putin, but but the policies are not going to change very much. It's, it's a long-term strategic thing.
1: But this anti-globalist, anti-multilateral, as we saw it at G7 when he was sort of ganged up on by uh, mm-hmm. Merkel and Macron and, and our own uh, boy king, as we call him up here, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> I mean, that resonates. It certainly resonates with me because I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I think uh, people have had a belly full of these multilateral agreement in, <laughs> agreements, international institutions like. Uh, the the IMF and the United Nations and so forth. Uh, so I don't know what you mean by uh, his, and you'll get into this, I know, uh, his sort of faction of the deep state, but whatever faction of the deep state he represents, I'm all for that.
2: Well, I am too. You know, I, I voted for him, as I said, very reluctantly. But I have I have to be honest and say I've been very pleasantly surprised by the man and and what he has been able to accomplish with the opposition in this country being so hysterical and shrill. Uh, he has done a great deal. And, you know, we're watching a movement uh, against this globaloney, as I like to call it. Uh, this This unipolar world and and I said this years and years ago in several interviews. The more of a global state you create, the less responsive it's going to be at a local level, and ultimately it's going to be so out of touch with reality on the ground at the local level that it's going to make a mess not only of economies and national jurisprudence but it's going to make a mess of of the economy and of the culture and that's that's really what we see have been seeing going on in europe is is the economy and the culture are both interconnected so deeply there so yeah i i'm in total agreement with you and one thing to add to this about trump That's really interesting. I don't know if you've seen the uh, strategic study that was done towards the end of last year. It was a Pentagon study, but this was his administration's kind of uh, articulation of where it wants to go. And if you read it carefully, one of the things that comes out very clearly in it is that it does acknowledge that the days of of Pax Americana or the unipolar American world, you know, that we saw created after the collapse of the Soviet Union, that those days are over. So I think with Trump, you also see something else, much like you see with Vladimir Putin. You're you're seeing – Uh, leaders emerge in these countries that are interested in figuring out how do we transition to a multipolar world. And in a certain sense, I think Russia and America, perhaps China, Japan, uh you can throw into the mix there, are kind of leading that charge. We've got an upcoming election in Mexico where uh Orboro, one of the candidates, appears to be of a similar mold in Mexico. So really the holdouts here are in your country, France, uh Germany certainly. But you know, the Italian elections have, have Thrown the monkey wrench in the global owning works. Um, the Austrian elections, the Dutch elections, the Brexit referendum. Yes, there's this reaction. Um, Hungary, Poland, certainly Hungary. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Uh, people, people basically have had it. If, 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 if globalism means the demise of their nat- national culture. And if it means rule by far off bureaucrats in Brussels or Ottawa or Washington or whatever, then I think, you, you know, people are making it very clear that they don't want that.
1: I think also people are are starting to wake up to hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. uh, up here in, in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea that, something that I've long subscribed to, that one of the, the the great existential threats facing Western civilization is not an external threat, it is internal, and in that is they are being churned out of mm-hmm. uh, universities and colleges, uh, these uh, postmodern cultural Marxists that, mm-hmm. that, that hate Western civilization, they hate Christianity, they hate mm-hmm. capitalism. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that?
2: Oh, I'm in total agreement with you. I, you know, I've say often to my, uh, website members and and in other interviews that that there are really three pillars of, of Western civilization: the Judaic component which gives us the idea of covenant of contract of individual responsibility of rule of law we 've got Christianity with the idea of of transcendence beauty the perfection of of the cosmos by man, and so on and so forth and then we 've got the enlightenment we 've got the humanistic component that that is, you know, in the position of being the the advocatus diaboli, so to speak, to the other two elements. It's it's the critical, skeptical component, and and this unique mixture of these three things that we call Western civilization. When you overemphasize any one of them, then that's when when the civilization starts to shudder and, and shut down. But you mentioned also something very important in this respect, and that's this cultural Marxism game that we've seen infiltrating the universities in your country, infiltrating the universities in in this country, uh, certainly uh, in Western Europe as well. And this is this cultural Marxism game. This is coming from, uh, in my opinion, uh, Richard, two sources. One would be Antonio Gramsci, the, the Italian Marxist philosopher that that Benito Mussolini put into prison. Gramsci had the idea that that Marxism was only going to work and be able to be imposed not economically but culturally. And out of this whole philosophy, then you get the Frankfurt uh, Critical School, Herbert Marcuse, uh, Theodor Adorno, people like this that. Uh, many of them come to this country and ingratiate themselves at Columbia University, and the right. poison spreads from there. The family
1: um, is a fascist institution.
2: Eggs, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> nonsense like this, and and we have seen the wholesale assault from these people on on Christianity and just basic traditional virtues. Um, And, and institutions and, and they're not going to quit. And this is the problem, um, that people have to realize. This is not merely a political struggle. This is a cultural struggle. And all parties, um, in, Both of our countries have been infected with a lot of this philosophy and and a lot of this thinking. So the sooner that people wake up that this is a cultural as well as a as a political phenomenon, the better off we'll be. We'll we'll be able to know what to do about it, and you know, start start right at home. Don't send your kids to these colleges. You know, just cut off the money supply.
1: That's right. Well, Joseph, my my boys are just a few feet away from me in a classroom. They are being homeschooled for this very reason.
2: Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, but
1: in that light, you, I mean, I see, I see Trump uh, not so much. I mean, as a conservative, but as a radical anti-progressive.
2: Right, right. I think that's. I think that's also key. Uh, progressivism has has really grown in both our countries since the administration of Woodrow Wilson and if you want a lesson in how progressivism rules just read uh, Joshua I think uh, Joshua Greenberg or Feinberg's book called uh, liberal fascism it's an excellent excellent book it goes into what happened in this country particularly during the Wilson era and how it spread Um, how it spread from this country to Europe to Canada—it's—it's uh, it's really an eye opener. But yes, I think I think you're fundamentally correct here. Trump is an anti-progressive to me, Richard. Uh, my parents were both Democrats, and they would have been absolutely appalled at what the democratic party is now it's it's basically a, a hard socialist party it's been radicalized at, at its leadership level they would have been absolutely appalled and that's kind of what trump strikes me as he strikes me more of an old kind of centrist democrat really than he strikes me as a conservative
1: absolutely uh, he, yes
2: yeah yeah he's not a progressive and and this is an anti-progressive Phenomenon going on in this country. It's again, it's cultural, it's cultural.
1: Well, and and this is why he has the support now of of the unions Uh, and he has more, I I would suppose, certainly in trade more in common with a Bernie Sanders uh, than he does with this fairweather. Uh, I don't know how to character how to characterize Hillary Clinton. She's just fair weather. She's a fair weather feminist. She's a fair weather capitalist. She's a fair weather everything, whatever right. way the wind is blowing. But uh, right. there's no room for her in the party now because she's not radical enough. Um, so you were mentioning that in your estimation, Trump is a deep state entity, mm-hmm. but he represents mm-hmm. a different faction of the deep state. Mm-hmm. Well, explain. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think if you look at American history, Richard, as an arc from from the assassination of, of President Kennedy up to 9-11, I view that as one overall all-encompassing arc of American history. Because very clearly, if you study the assassination, this, this was an in-house job. This came from elements of the American deep state, the oil interests, the banking interests, the intelligence interests – uh, and, to a lesser extent, the Pentagon, uh, and this continued right up till nine eleven which again, I think there 's so very solid evidence that some aspects of it were an inside job. Trump uh, I think represents that part of that deep state community in America that looked at this development and where it was heading, particularly after nine eleven and said, enough is enough. We've got to put a stop to this, otherwise we're going to lose the culture, we're going to lose the country, and we're going to lose everything. In other words, they were looking at kind of a cancer that was just eating its host alive, and if allowed to continue, that's exactly what it would do. It would eat up this country, it would eat up Canada, it would eat up Europe, and so on and so forth. So I think Trump comes out of not only a disaffected kind of uh, mafia connection with the casino industry and what was beginning to happen under Obamacare. But I think he's also coming out of a faction that's deeply embedded in the Pentagon. Look at the military around him, Looking, at, look at the the kind of in-house feud now that you see between the cia and the nsa the nsa looks to be more solidly behind trump than the cia uh it's the cia the fbi that we see involved in in the kind of ongoing coup attempt against him um so in other words, if you look at the elements, it's, they're very sharply defined if, you, if you're willing to connect the dots.
1: Sure. I mean, if you look at – if you go back maybe before Carter, I'm not sure, but certainly – well, after Reagan, we had Bush 1 and 2, Clinton, Obama, there have been these attempts – for a coup by legal illegal means with with clinton Mm -hmm. it was the impeachment process they tried different things with bush there have been an attempt to overturn every single election through the
2: courts whatever
1: for Mm -hmm. the last 40 years
2: yes yes and again this this i think is coming out of that globalist element within the american intelligence community um in particular i think what's what's Crucial here is is the whole attempt on Reagan. I think that's very fishy. The assassination attempt on Reagan, uh, George W. Bush waiting in the wings, the Reagan assassin having connections with the Bush family, George Bush himself having been a director of the CIA. Uh, This is this to me is that deep state that came into power with the assassination of President Kennedy. And it is globalist in its outlook. I mean, there's there's just no two ways about it. I think what Trump represents is kind of a, a counter coup.
1: Well, Trump certainly has made a lot of people in the military very happy, especially the veterans. Are you ready to become a leader Enroll in Army ROTC. You could get a full-time tuition scholarship, and you'll graduate a leader and an officer in the U.S. Army. Army officers inspire strength in others. To receive more information about the Army ROTC program, visit GoArmy.com forward slash podcast today. That's GoArmy.com forward slash podcast today. Paid for by the United States Army.
0: The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. The great author,
1: researcher, historian, vlogger Joseph Farrell is here talking the deep state. We were talking about Europe a little earlier and and some of these populist... um Elections. We mentioned uh, Hungary and Austria. I certainly, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Poland is certainly in that camp as well. Incidentally, I thought uh, this is going back a while, but I thought the Trump speech in Poland was historic. Of course, it was. Mm -hmm. It was summarily ridiculed uh, and and um, characterized as racist and white supremacist. But I thought it was a brilliant speech. How how did you feel about that speech in Poland?
2: Well, I think all of his speeches. That one in particular was crucial. But I think all of his speeches during the campaign, let's go back to the American campaign and look at two events that I thought were the defining events of the Republican primary campaign. The, the first incident that clued me in that backing behind Trump was very, very serious and very deep was during that date when you had all the candidates up on the stage and President Trump zinged Deb Bush with 9-11 truther comment. And I don't know if you remember that, but to me, Trump saying something that was straight out of the 9-11 truth community and dropping it like a bombshell on jeb bush bush's reaction he he kind of froze he became flustered he became nervous and a couple days later he drops out of the race uh campaign finance difficulty
1: all right what was the comment i don't recall
2: I, i don't recall exactly what the comment was but it was something to the effect that yes your fan was involved i mean that was that was kind of the implication of the comment And to me, that was such a stunner that he would say it and drop it in the way he did. And then a couple of weeks later, he did the same thing to Senator Cruz from Texas. Ah,
1: yes, the Kennedy, uh, making the the Kennedy Kennedy Connection.
2: connection. Yes. And those were zingers. And to me, Richard, what that indicated was that Number one, he had some real research behind him that nobody suspected, and he was dropping clues that he knew exactly what was in the control files, if I can borrow Catherine Austin Fitz's term, yes, uh, on these people. And again, something happened within a couple of days. Senator Cruz dropped out of the race, citing campaign finance difficulties, and it, from that point on, it was a Trump. Uh, it was a Trump victory. Well, let me just ask you. So, sorry to
1: interrupt, but let me ask you: Do you think there's any truth to the the claim that Cruz's father had something to do with the assassination?
2: I do think that he was connected in some weird fashion to the strange goings on in New Orleans, which is what which is what Trump had stated. Uh, that seems to me to be fairly clear, and. The way the speed with which Jeb Bush and Senator Cruz dropped out of the election and then Senator Cruz going on to actually man the phones for the Trump campaign. Ah, yes. You know, to me that was that was uh, you know the the PS resistance, that was the ultimate humiliation.
1: Total know. capitulation
2: total capitulation so that indicates to me that there's some backing that those were messages and you know we can we can get far worse with this uh, if we want to but going back to speeches again if you look at the speeches that mr trump is giving at the time if you look at what he's been saying since you can go by almost a, a point-by-point analysis richard and compare them do some of the things coming out of Vladimir Putin's mouth. Uh, You find Trump in the run-up to the election talking about the safety of vaccines. Well, Putin's talking about the safety of vaccines. You have Trump saying, Americanism, not globalism. You've got Putin saying, you know, we don't want Russia being run by global corporations, and so on and so forth. So in other words, there's this point-by-point uh, rebuttal of of the dogmas of, of globalism as I like to call it and ultimately if you look at what those points are they're not political so much as they are cultural
1: right, right now the similarities between Trump and and uh, Putin, in, in terms of their rhetoric, is not to suggest um, there's some there's some type of collusion. Uh,
2: no, 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 no. If there's collusion, it's only collusion of shared outlook.
1: Shared outlook, but yes. I,
2: but I think, Richard, and this is where the the uh, blogger on my website that recently wrote about the very idea, she pointed out what really, we may be looking at a case that they're looking at this this agreement in principle between these two world leaders and the Russia collusion meme is their way of disguising what's really going on and what really concerns them.
1: Which is we have two world leaders that are both Uh, in direct opposition to uh, globalism.
2: Right, and let's go further. Let's remember that that Russia played a huge role in the American Civil War, heading off intervention from France and England. You know, Tsar Alexander II sent the Russian fleet to this country, to the Union, to head off a, a French or British intervention on, on the side of the South. If you look at if you look at the geopolitics of Great Britain in particular, it has always been to try to chem in Russia, you know, keep Russia from from breaking out, well, you know, one way for Russia to break out would be to cement a strong and firm relationship with the country. Uh, And it's all over for Europe. So I think behind the Russia collusion meme, if they're looking at these points of agreement between Putin and Trump and seeing the same thing I'm seeing, they're thinking, we have to head this off now because there could be a geopolitical uh, consequence coming out of this Agreement in principle about these things that we don't want. So I think this may be lying behind the, the Russian delusion meme. And again, I, I want to stress: this is not my idea. This is uh, a lady on my website by the name of Kelly that, that wrote this blog and pointed these things out. And I think she she has, I think she has a working hypothesis there. Do you
1: think then, because ne- because recently? uh the trump administration has reached out to uh putin again and and mm-hmm. basically said you know let's talk uh now that maybe finally they're feeling that the the russian collusion mueller investigation is sort of in its final stages after 17 mm-hmm. 18 months 17 million dollars <laughs> and not a, not 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 only there's no fire there's no smoke Uh, So he he seems to feel safe to make. Do you think I guess what I'm asking is, do you think that that Putin could be a strategic partner? Because my former prime minister, who I had a great deal of respect for Harper recently on Fox said that's a mistake. Putin can never be a strategic partner. What do you think?
2: Well, I think Putin can be um, if, if Carter played very carefully. Let's remember that Putin has been. Uh, quite the target of a lot of geopolitical shenanigans coming from Berlin coming from this country coming from Ottawa, from London uh, during the Maidan crisis in the Ukraine and, and, and so on and so forth his his annexation of the Crimea uh, all of this and again if you look back to those years it was Obama Merkel uh, Hollande um, all in, in lockstep agreement Along comes Trump and he starts talking anti-game you know, the same the same talk that Mr Putin has been talking for ten years. So yes, I do think that there's a possibility of a strategic alliance, not necessarily an alliance, let's 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 re- rephrase that term, and on entente, let's use the World War One term, uh in the United States and Russia. Uh, which I think was kind of presaged by Mr. Trump himself when he was in your country just recently That the G7. He said, well, you know, we need to get Russia back in here. Well, again, from a purely real politique point of view, yes, we need to get Russia back in there because you cannot ignore one of the world's ten largest economies. You cannot ignore, you know, the, the other major nuclear power in the world. So I think, again, Trump has the right idea. And, of course, the reaction from the globalist crowd was, oh, we can get them back. And, again, I think it's this visceral fear on the part of of the European powers to prevent any sort of alignment between this country and Russia.
1: Let me ask you just uh, in, in a few minutes at Remain, uh, speaking of Russia, Um mm-hmm. Do you think Russia or and Putin specifically was behind the poisoning of the former Russian spy in in London?
2: No, I I don't. Um for for a very simple reason, my own uh my own investigation of that whole thing, the poison itself, if it was a nerve agent, it was really a very poor nerve agent, you know, <laughs> they're still alive. And kind of under a kind of house arrest. If the Russians were going to use the nerve agent to get rid of somebody, they'd be, you know, they'd be stone cold dead by now. Uh, I think it was a, in all honesty, you know, to create yet another blame Putin for everything. Uh, as I, as far as I know, the last time they did a chemical analysis of the substance. the the chemical fingers are pointing to Portland down, not not to Russia. But the other problem I had with that whole story, even before all these analyses of, of the material had been done, was that Russia simply had no motivation to do this. Skripal case, Mr. Skripal had been traded by Russia during a spy exchange, you know, and it's kind of an unwritten rule, if you're exchanging spies with somebody, you don't turn around and kill the spy, because you're never going to be able to make another exchange again so i didn 't see much motivation for Russia to even be doing that. Uh, I saw a lot of motivation for the West to be doing that and trying to pin the blame on russia
1: then there 's the Babchenko uh, case, this Russian journalist supposedly uh, who was shot and killed in the Ukrainian capital, and again, all fingers pointed at putin uh, and then he shows up very much alive
2: mhm mhm yeah i think I think they are trying everything to get rid of Mr. Putin. Uh, I think the, the the death of his chauffeur a couple of years ago in a car accident in Moscow was perhaps a sinister. uh They're doing everything they can to get rid of this guy. But, you know, I go back to what I said earlier, Richard. If this is the case, then it's telling me that Mr. Globaloni's analysis of the situation in Russia is very, very poor. Because if they, even if they did succeed in getting rid of demand, they're certainly not going to get rid of the policies. Let's remember that he's coming out of the SI. He's coming out of the Russian intelligence community. And he is a product, in my opinion, of a strategic analysis that was taking place in Russia during the rape of Russia during the Yeltsin years of where Russia needed to go. So in other words, you can replace Putin, but you're not going to be able to replace the policy uh that much i'm I'm certain of um the the golden years of of having Harvard Obama, you know raiding Russia through the leader of of russia a k a boris yeltsin those days are over and let's remember that e yeltsin himself has up because he's the one that mentored Putin into power right so, you know um i i just i just don't see this covert agenda working in Russia's case and you know the other problem here Richard is that two can play the covert operations game and sooner or later if the West keeps trying to do this Russia's going to respond in kind you know they have the capability to do it and and so I you know the bottom line for me Richard is global is really in a panic he's he's got his knickers in a big twist and uh, you know, Trump. Trump is the least there their worries. And again, you know, Trump may go may may go by the wayside, but they're not going to be able to get rid of or stunts uh, the voices and interests that put him into power. That's going to stay. Well, he
1: may be a thug. Putin may be a thug. Uh, they may represent a certain faction of uh, the deep state, but. Mm-hmm. I prefer this faction of the deep state than than the other. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Here, here.
1: Joseph, how uh, how can we catch you on YouTube?
2: Uh, I do every Thursday a little kind of review of particular news stories that kind of catch my interest during the week. Uh, it's called News Views from the Ferium. So they can just go on YouTube and, and Google that, or they can Google the Giza Death Star channel. Either one will, will take them there. And then my website, of course, is, is Giza Death Star, and that's where I do uh, my blogging and articles and things like
1: that. com and uh, news and views, again, that's, did you say every
2: Thursday? Yeah, every Thursday I do a little kind of 20-minute long view of a particular news I think might be significant. Excellent.
1: Well, Joseph, great catching up with you again. We won't leave it so long the next time. All the best.
2: Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me back. My
1: pleasure. Joseph Farrell. Well, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll tell you what lies ahead on Conspiracy Unlimited. Before that, do you have a dog? Would you like to develop your dog's hidden intelligence to eliminate bad behavior and create the obedient, well-behaved pet of your dreams? A woman named Adrian Ferracelli, a professional certified dog trainer, has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out the hidden intelligence inside the dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. Our brains are capable of learning new behaviors because of neuroplasticity. Well, your dog's brain has this same plasticity, and with the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. And when this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com That's realbusinessbargains.com realbusinessbargains.com Coming up on episode 80 of Conspiracy Unlimited we'll continue with our deep state conversation with the co-author of The Killing of Uncle Sam The Demise of the United States of America Until next time I'm Richard Serrett So long for
0: now